Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan. We're glad to be uh, able to pick back up and keep this uh, keep this thing going. It's we were just talking about it before we started recording. Um, it is hard to do the podcast now that the pandemic is not in full effect. So we're, uh, we're, we're staying really busy. If you're in Houston, we invite you to come out and see a show at the riot. Uh, we're, we're pretty busy there Thursday through Sunday. We'd love to have you come check out a show. That's what's keeping us really busy. Um, but we, we luckily, uh, have a, have a great guest and a great, uh, conversation coming up, uh, today. Yeah. Listen, comics, if you're doing your podcast, it's about consistency. Follow my, my words, not my actions. Uh, <laughs> make sure you're doing it every week. Uh, but here we are, Drew and I are doing back to backs. We're going to be releasing some new episodes, including today. Uh, speaking of consistency, been pretty damn consistent with that feedback mic though. Uh, if you have not yet participated in our Tuesday night feedback mics, get on board 9am Eastern time runs a little over an hour. Usually comics from across the country, across the world, working on jokes and bits and tags and all that stuff together. And it's really helped me grow as a comedian. I'm sure the same for you, Drew. So email us at breakingdownbits at gmail.com or hit us up at social media, just send us a DM and we'll get you up on the the following Tuesday or or whatever Tuesday you're looking for. Yeah, sounds great. Um, I guess this time we got We got to get into callbacks. Uh, A guy who actually had at the riot and on the podcast. That was was always fun to to have a comic in town. We, We talked to, uh, Francisco Ramos, um, super fun time with him. I think my callback from, from him on the podcast, um, it was a little confusing in the conversation part, but I think it is important. Always be, um, sure of when you, when you do something and you put it out, just be sure that it's something that, that you can be proud of something that you can stand by because you're building a character as as Ron G, I believe, talks about, you're building a legacy of what you, who you are, what your content is, and and especially I think for him, since he's more on the TV side as well, you can kind of get typecast um, if you you know. So I think it's just important to really consider your content and and what you want to put out there and who you want to be seen as, and just make uh, make good decisions on that because it could affect your future. You know, you create a character that you don't really enjoy, and then all of a sudden you're having to do it every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's right. That, that was mine too, but I've got another one loaded up. So don't <laughs> worry. Uh, I thought that was very sage advice. The other thing that he talked about that stuck with me is be a visual writer uh, because that really translates on stage. If you can make your bits more visual. Uh, and interestingly enough, he talked about the idea that he, he took out physicality that he said that was sort of, he relied too much on it. And I'm like, man, I'm actually putting it back in. Is that a bad thing? And he's, he cautioned, no, that's, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but it just to help him grow as a comic, he wanted to take out a lot of the physical stuff. So, um, and then just the other note that we got to see him on stage and just, you know, he could tell a punchline, this is facial expression. And so yeah. to me, it was just a reminder to uh, be in the moment and remember to use all the tools that you have, including your, your face uh, to sell those punchlines. Yeah, I forgot who talked about that on a previous episode. How um, they were they were referencing some famous comic, and uh, you could they just some punchlines were just a facial expression. Didn't have to even have words because he had he had instilled that character and that facial expression so strongly as that character that he could just make that face, and everyone everyone caught it and knew what was going on. 
I know, yeah, I noticed he was particularly skilled at that. But uh, go ahead and check out that 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 episode with Francisco. Check out all the episodes. Find them at breakingdownbits.com and of course YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Want to yep. bring in our guest? Let's do it. Jeff Plitt has an engineering degree and is an ex-Google employee. After studying at Second City and I.O. in Chicago, Jeff moved to L.A. to be a stand-up comic and joke writer. Jeff co-founded Jetpack, a highly acclaimed alternative stand-up showcase in Los Angeles, and now writes and hosts the weekly YouTube late-night comedy show, What You Need to Know, whose clips have three-plus million TikTok views. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing, man? Hi, how's it going, Drew, Brian? Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Good to have you. Always, uh, always interesting to have people who have found success and are unlocking some opportunities online. So we're excited to kind of chat about your, your path, which was very interesting. Uh, the most overqualified comedian I think we've had on this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. It's a it's a treat to be on this because I've been I've been listening to your podcast for uh, for a while. I think it's one of I mean, there's there's podcasts that have comedians on, but in terms of like the ones that go through the process and are really the inside baseball of comedy, uh, yours is my is my favorite. And uh, so this oh, is kind of kind of fun to be on. That's awesome. Thanks for thanks for checking out some episodes. And now you can go back and rewatch yours whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen <laughs> to it every day. Take your own advice. <laughs> Yeah. So tell us, tell us about that journey. That's a very interesting, as you, you pointed out, very interesting journey from, from engineer Google into co- Chicago comedy. Walk us through that a little bit so we can get a lot of understanding of how that came to be. Yeah. You know, I've been doing both um, a, uh, a tech background and, and performing since I was uh, a little kid. I, I, when I was four years old, I started doing plays. Uh, I did uh, theater and musicals all, all the way through uh, my childhood. I also started uh, programming computers when I was 10 years old. And I remember forming this goal that I wanted to be the first person to win a, uh, a Nobel Prize in Science and, a, and an Oscar award. So I don't think either of those is ever going to happen. But uh, <laughs> that's, that was just like an early version of my two-prong attack plan, you know. So uh, in college, yeah, I went to, I went to Carnegie Mellon for computer science. Um, I started an improv troupe there. And I was really into improv. Uh, and so I, I got my degree and I've always had these day jobs in tech and for, you know, I, I don't consider myself a, uh, 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 like a tech head exactly. That's just a tool that I use to get fun work done. So you'll see later on, I think that I sort of have this left brain approach to comedy sometimes, but I also use my right brain. But, uh, so I, I did improv and sketch in, um, in Chicago, uh, improv Olympic, second city, uh, annoyance, very fun. I highly advise anyone who feels that they're not very spontaneous and that they're not feeling that live connection to an audience to try improv at least a few times. Um, but eventually I realized, okay, this isn't necessarily the finished state of, of where I want to be in comedy. Uh, it's, it's a tool, but I was thinking, okay, if that's the process, what's the product? Maybe the product is stand-up. So I started getting into stand-up and filmmaking. And my goal still is kind of like to be a Judd Apatow, to be a stand-up comic, uh, and also a filmmaker. And um, so I moved back to LA. I grew up here. Um, so LA, Pittsburgh, Chicago, finally back to LA. And I've been doing stand-up comedy for the last uh, about uh, 10 years. And 
uh, or a little bit more, and and also some filmmaking, a um, bunch of short films and sketches, uh, and trying to get a few features now off the ground, and uh, and still doing tons of comedy. Um, I have been, you know besides local shows in LA, I've done some festivals, and I started my own show, and I I think you guys have have no, have seen yourselves from your riot and other things that uh, when you when you put energy into the community, it comes back tenfold. So you, you, when you create opportunities for people, you, you start networking and, uh, you know, and giving opportunities to, to your favorite comedians that you know in your area or for visiting from out of town. Uh, it builds relationships that you won't know the impact or the, uh, the benefit back to you for a while, but they will, they will come back. And so I've really, I've really enjoyed that. I, I guess I'll stop there. I've said a bunch. See what, see what you want me to talk about next. That, that's actually a really exciting and encouraging thing to hear, Jeff, because we put a lot of effort and energy like into this show, for example, with, uh, we don't, you know, we, don't, we pay to do this. <laughs> so eventually this right. stuff comes back. It's good to hear, but it, it, in some ways it has, like we've had, we've been able to book guests and, and make relationships and, um, and I, 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 we're starting to see some of the fruits of what you're talking about. So that's very true. Yeah. yeah that's so, the diversity. That's so fun that you're like, because I, I have the same kind of ambitions. I think a lot of comics are creative in a lot of different ways. And when you diversify, I think you start to see some crossover and some some of maybe do, do some of your film and sketch ideas crossover into stand-up and then stand-up ideas. You go, wait, actually, this would be a better short video. This would be a better sketch. And so like when you have those multiple streams, almost like multiple income streams, you've got different places and you realize there's some connectivity there in your in your different modes of creativity. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, your your Sean Patton episode. He he said DIY, right? And and that is something that has worked a lot for me. I mean, once in a while you meet a comic who kind of wins a lottery and they get you know instant uh, industry success in the traditional way. But I think much more common, even amongst my most talented friends and my own story, is that you create your own opportunities. So um, when I started getting into filmmaking, I was mostly working behind the camera and. Uh, just uh, uh, filming my, my friends' sketch groups and this and that, uh, but learned a lot about lenses and cameras and lights and all that stuff. And then when the pandemic hit, I didn't have stand-up comedy anymore. Um, I was like, well, what, you know, what am I going to do with that uh, instinct? So I had been, besides stand-up comedy, I'd also been interested in late-night joke writing, you know, uh, monologue jokes. And, and those are very different because they are disposable that you know most of those jokes aren't going to work a month later because the news isn't fresh anymore um but i i love the fact that every week there's 20 or 30 new headlines so you got rich setups to work with and so i've been trying to write those but didn't really have an outlet for those and so i suddenly realized oh my god i've got a room full of cameras and lights i've got all these jokes why don't i just film myself doing these jokes and put them on tiktok and so now as of today i'm at ninety nine thousand point something followers so maybe by the time this airs i'll, I'll reach my milestone of a hundred thousand we're gonna get you um, there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well we'll see but um the, it, it's been very much a journey of following my passions following what uh what gave me joy in terms of uh, uh performing and uh editing all the creative and technical you know sometimes there's legwork you have to do to make your dream come true so i don't i don't particularly like love running shows, even though I've learned to be good at them, but it gives me stage time. It lets me give other people stage time. And I started to really like it the more I've, I've done it, you know, and I don't particularly love being behind a camera, you know, learning how a camera works necessarily, but it has opened up this new avenue for me. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. 
Yeah, super fun. I and there's I um I during the pandemic, I guess it's when my camera craze just really took over because I'm sitting at home like you, you know, want to want to share some creativity. So like during those down months, you could just I watched every camera video I could to learn everything about the gear and the settings and everything and then, you know, started YouTube and all that stuff and now, you know, slowly but surely um, hopefully I, I can't reveal too much because I want to wait till it actually happens, but some, some comics are reaching out and want me to shoot sketches and stuff. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. And I think that, you know, I don't think we can say it enough. Like if you're a comic, you need to be digitally creating content and sharing that stuff because it's such a cool, um, uh, opportunity. Like I, I will say, and I have one video on TikTok that has almost a million views Great. And just just that video alone has increased my YouTube following, uh, and you know, like it's it's that it starts to cross over because you connect the accounts, and so before you know it, you're starting to see growth everywhere, and people are more eyeballs, more you know. We always need we're fighting for attention out there, and so if you can use that to to put a little extra spotlight on you, hey, you got to do it. There's no option now. I know Dave Chappelle, you know, in that interview with Joe Rogan was kind of talking about Andrew Schultz. You know, he didn't quite understand what he was doing, sort of kind of. Um, but, you know, this is a different era. Dave Chappelle did not have to do this. We have to do this. It's no option. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touched on uh, camera stuff. And you and I could probably nerd out for, for a while on cameras <laughs> and lenses. But to anybody who's listening, even an iPhone is totally fine. Yeah. TikTok uh, opened up a, a very different mindset for, for video. Like I, I've, I've put content out on YouTube over the years and I've had a few successes. I've had a lot of failures, but nothing cut on as much as TikTok. I think TikTok changed the game in a few ways. First of all, with all the editing tools inside TikTok, you can, you can do a lot more. But also, I think on YouTube, it's dominated by people that have very high production value and 10-minute videos, a lot of time. They, they, they pre-write everything, and that's, that's wonderful. But TikTok's a more casual platform, and it really, anybody with an iPhone can just set it up. And it's more about the ideas, and it's more about, uh, you know, also it's more conversational because you're often responding to, uh, you know, you're doing a duet or a stitch or you're using someone else's audio. So it just, it's just more collaborative. But beyond all that, it's just where the views are right now. TikTok has more organic reach than any other platform. So, you know, it, it's, it's the play, as you said, you can grow there first and then sometimes it transfers elsewhere. So I advise anyone that has any ideas for content or any desire to, to be on camera to get into it and try TikTok. It really is the, 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 oh, and for people who don't know, TikTok is not about only 14 year olds doing uh, dances and, and songs. While that's how it got started, like anything else, there's huge niches in every possible way. I follow quantum uh, quantum computing, you know, TikTok channels, and I follow lawyer TikTok channels, and I follow a lot of comedy. There's all these niches, and there's plenty of room for almost any niche. You don't have to do any of them. I mean, I built my following um, with no songs and dances, just recording myself saying these these dumb news jokes, and you know, it 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 builds from there. And you're right about the reach on TikTok. I think that's something that's super attractive right now, is because I posted the same content as a reel and the same content as a TikTok. And I think the reel um, got around 10,000 views on Instagram. And like I said, the other one hit about, uh, hit about a million. 
Um, and so it's just, a, it's a, until they change the algorithm, cause you know, it's going to happen at some point, they're going to take <laughs> more control, just like everything. So now is a great time to get in and, and start growing a following and connecting with people who get what you do. Yeah. I think TikTok, uh, uh, one piece of their algorithm that's interesting is that you, when you open, if you're just a, a viewer, you're just going to watch some TikToks. When you open the app, you're not really looking at the people you follow very much. That's only a small portion of it. That's maybe 25%. It's mostly trending content. And so that's kind of cool because they they don't silo people in to only watch what they're following. You're, you're always learning about new stuff constantly. And also, it seems like they audition your content. But by that, I mean when you upload it, they'll probably give, first of all, people that follow you will see your your video, but they also give you, it seems to me, a free five or 10 views from total strangers. And if any of those people like, or watch it twice, or there's a lot of signals, right? They comment, they follow you, any of those signals, they then reward you by giving you another maybe 50 or 100 views for free. And if those do well, then they, they escalate you mm-hmm. into higher and higher tiers. Um, on other platforms, it's sort of like a rock and a hard place because if you can't get the early views to give your content a chance at virality, no strangers will ever find it and you just can't get that started. But with TikTok, I mean, I mean, often on TikTok, my stuff will fail, but when it succeeds, I see the early engagement being the reason it got to the next levels. Um, if, you, if you can get two or three comments within your first 10 views, uh, you're off to the races. Yeah. It's an exciting, it's, it's almost like watching a stock go up. You're just like, <laughs> you're just cheering it along. It's kind of a fun, it's kind of, it brings, there's a fun moment when you're like, oh, this one's doing well. I want to see what engagement's there. Like the, the video that I did, it was so funny because I was wearing a 21 pilot shirt in the video. <laughs> and like, I would say 80%, if not more of the comments are just like, nice shirt. yeah yeah you know what that's a great point there's all these little tricks like one thing i noticed is i have i have fans but i also have haters right but i consider them both the same because it's all helping my algorithm so sometimes Mm -hmm. i will pin a hater's comment and what happens is (laughs) my fans swoop in to defend and then it starts a bunch of buzz and uh so those little uh you know like that shirt um Maybe what you should do is get a bunch of weird shirts and wear a different weird shirt in every video, you know, double down on what works. Yeah, that's true. Just anything, it's just visual, catches someone's eye. There's a lot of 14 year old girls who love 21 pilots. I guess I'm one of them. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It it was a weird thing that just really blew up. And I think that's why that got so many views is because there's a lot of 21 pilots fans out there, I guess. I don't know. But then it also means- Maybe the joke was trash. (laughs) Yeah, but- now that you have those fans, uh, you know, don't rest on your laurels, you know, think about what, what more can I give them? What more can I, cause it's, it's only going to be easier from here. All those fans that you just got will help your next videos to succeed. Right. So, so let's talk about then, uh, if it's okay, taking that, that digital to analog, how does this translate into the real world? Uh, I just saw Drew, I saw our friend, Jeff Joe just got back from Pittsburgh uh, out doing a show with Russell Peters and, and, yeah. and his and his whole that whole connection started through a TikTok video that got to Russell and, and now he's that, that's real world stuff. So, uh, Jeff, have you or Drew, have you recognized any real world activity yet uh, as a result or are excited about anything, any sort of collaborations or shows or anything? Yeah. So 
my full strategy is I, I make these portrait style videos and I put them on TikTok, but I put the same ones on Instagram stories, on my Facebook stories, and I, there used to be Twitter fleets and I've tried YouTube shorts. But anyway, on um, Instagram stories and Facebook stories, I found that a lot of people in the comedy community have been noticing those and, and I sometimes get comments back and they're like, oh, you, I, I've been liking your, your stories. And I'm like, well, if you've just been seeing them on Facebook, you should see what's happening on TikTok. Uh, but I guess my point is that has that has definitely led to more stand-up comedy uh, bookings on on local shows, and uh, it's also on the creative side. Writing these news-based jokes for my TikTok has added a new segment to my stand-up act. So mm. I kind of do the first third with these uh, news jokes that uh, rotate very often and are changing a lot, and then the second half is sort of my my act that I've been developing for the last five or ten years. And it, it, it keeps it fresh, but it also, you know, um, other comics in the room will notice, oh, that guy's always got new jokes. Every, every week he seems to have one new joke. And that is, that is something that you want. You want to, my theory, my style stand-up is to lead with the writing. And I think that people will notice if you have a lot of, a lot of new stuff. So anyway, I, I, do, I do include my uh, TikTok success on my resume when i you know submit to festivals at, or shows and stuff and it's opened more doors than i thought it would for sure yeah i think as a comic like for me and brian you know we we spend a lot of time at our show you know thursday through sunday a lot of times we're at our show so we're not quite as available to go out and, and perform at other people's shows um, and so i think social media is a way that has helped me uh, for sure, just like make sure that the local community is seeing that I'm working and seeing what I'm doing because, you know, those comics are out working. They're, they're not always at my show. They don't always see how I'm progressing and what I'm doing. And so social media is a way that I can go, hey, I'm working over here. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm trying to create these moments. Don't forget about me. Think about maybe book me. Hey, every now and again, you know, I think it's just a way to stay active in the community to let people you know, see that you're working, you know, cause that's, I think as we book people in O'Brien, we talk about it all the time and we, we love to book people that we see out at the mics that are grinding and working and getting better. We, we feel like as we have an opportunity to reward that work. So, you know, you want to be that person that's working. Yeah. You want to find ways to showcase yourself uh, as much as possible. And this is another thing I, I, I wanted to mention is I think sometimes you have to ask yourself, how can I um, make this uh, easier? How can I uh, rely on fewer people? As far as these videos that I've been creating, um, well, you know, if I was a person who didn't know anything about cameras, I'd have to hire a camera guy. If I didn't know anything about editing, I'd have to hire an editing person. If I you know, didn't uh, feel comfortable filming them myself, I'd have, to, I'd have to hire all these people. So over the, and I, that's how I started. When I first started filmmaking, I was hiring all those people. So, but then I, I learned all that stuff. I encourage people to learn every tool in the toolbox, every piece of the content creation, uh, you know, toolbox, because I, I, I ask myself, how can I make this simpler? Uh, sometimes it's a quantity game, like with uh, TikTok and with standup, I, I feel like just write more jokes, just write more content, release more things. The failures will disappear and, and be ignored and no one will notice them. The successes, you'll have more shots on the basket, you know, more shots on the goal. And the successes will then take off and it'll look like all you had was successes. So when I set up my, my goal for this show, I, want, I, I said, not only do I want to release uh, a video every day, I want to try for two or three every day. So I write 30 new news jokes uh, per week. I record about 20 and I, I edit and then I end up releasing about, about uh, these days, about 15. So roughly two jokes, two videos per day. 
how, how do I, you know, how can I do that without, you know, completely obliterating my schedule and, 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 you know, losing sleep? Well, the way I do it is I, I sort of bank the, I shoot them all in one day and I edit them all in one day. And I also kind of like you guys, I think you, you guys sometimes do that with your podcast. Um, and so how can I, how can I do more quantity of these? So, um, so yeah. So you get some, yeah, you, a, you have yeah. metrics and you hold yourself accountable to those metrics. Uh, I think comics, in, including myself, sometimes we have difficulty holding ourselves accountable, uh, which, by the way, that is a good place to have like an accountability group, a writing group that helps hold you accountable to writing those jokes because you, you obviously have a high level of self-discipline, Jeff. Uh, let me, let me ask you about learning though. Uh, what are your learning resources when you talk about going and learning about these or is it all trial and error? Well, for me, it's mostly been trial and error. Uh, let me put it this way. You could go get a film degree. You, you know, you could go to film school. You could, you know, uh, do those things, but it wouldn't it be better to just buy a camera and play with it. You'll probably spend less money and you'll, you'll learn on your own. Not that it's easy. Uh, you probably do need help. I've definitely watched uh, videos, watched tutorials, reached out to um, mentors and, and asked questions all the time. And I found it difficult at first to learn about cameras and editing and all this stuff. I remember I once took a training course at um, the YouTube. YouTube has these um, sound stages and, and sort of like compounds where you can go and they'll like train you. I, th I think uh, this was back when I was for example, I was like directing some um, some videos with like Melissa Villasenor, who's now on SNL, and uh, a couple other groups that had huge followings on YouTube. So I was allowed to, I didn't, but I was directing stuff with them. So I was allowed to go to the YouTube uh, space. I think that's what it's called, YouTube space. So I took a course on uh, on Adobe Premiere. Um, but there's great courses online, like y Udemy and uh, some of these other places to, you know, but, but mostly self-taught in terms of, I would say the most important things I learned was just by playing with, with a camera and giving yourself an excuse to learn things like a project. Like, let's say, uh, you know, you don't have an amazing sketch idea. Well, who cares? Just shoot whatever you, whatever you have and create a project for yourself as an excuse to learn the tools. Um, you were talking about, you know, uh, the value of, of working with other people. And uh, I was going to mention that, you know, when I got into stand-up, some of the most important things that I did was form uh, friendships, you, you make a lot of relationships, right? There's, a, there's acquaintances, which I, I love. I love the fact that there's a couple thousand people in Los Angeles that I know their name, I know their face, I see them on a show and that could turn into a friendship one day. Um, but I also have like some really close friends that in many ways taught me things. Like I, I often become really close friends with someone who's just a little better at something than I am. And, and I love learning that stuff. And I think the value of a buddy system is really important. So you just get, for anyone who's just getting into stand up. Find someone who also wants to get better um, and buddy up with them because if, if two of you go to a show that you want to get on and you just go to hang out, you'll feel more comfortable hanging out at, at a show with a buddy. And also you'll, you'll have that person to bounce your, your jokes off of. I, I don't just write in a vacuum. I have a couple of friends that I bounce most of my jokes off of. Sometimes they give me a joke. And so that, that buddy system is a, is a key part of the process. Let me, let me also flip that on its head real quick because I do some mentoring uh... – uh, formally outside of stand-up, but also sort of informally in stand-up. And, you know, this podcast sort of lends itself to that. And if you've been in stand-up for longer, and not that I've been in that long, but but just if you have, um, oftentimes being a mentor or a teacher, you learn in that, you learn more in that experience, I've found. 
And so be willing to to do what you just said, you know, take on somebody who, who who's looking for somebody to, to, to look up to and follow and you'll learn yourself. And so be open to that idea as well. Absolutely. Um, often they say, and I felt this myself because I used to teach improv and I, I've, I've taught a few things that the teacher learns more than the students. And, mm -hmm. um, and also whenever I'm learning something, I end up writing down notes as if I'm going to teach a class on it one day, even though I probably never will. But that mindset of how would I teach this helps me to learn it. Yeah, that, that's my, my adage has always been, if you really want to learn something, teach it. And, uh, and so yeah. that's been helpful for me. That's great. We, maybe we should, uh, I, I know I really, I, I could talk about TikTok and social media and cameras all day, but I, one thing we, we can't miss if we don't mind, let's back up and just talk about your writing process for a little bit. What, um, you know, I guess I should ask it the way that we always do, but how does Jeff Plitt write comedy? Yeah. So, um, I will touch on how I write comedy for the, the show, but also about my stand-up process. So for my show, I, I, I want, uh, I, I gather about 30 headlines a week. I use a tool called Feedly that uh, makes it really easy to subscribe to a lot of feeds of news uh, and also hide the, the bodies, hide the articles, because what I need is the, the, the headlines. Those are the setups for my jokes. Mm -hmm. I then dump all those into a spreadsheet and I rewrite this, the headlines because they often aren't, you know, they don't sound like me or some newspapers will use past tense and we use present tense, whatever. So, so you, you kind of want some uniformity there. And then I put them in a spreadsheet. I share that with a few friends of mine so I can show them the punchlines I came up with, you know, as, and they can also sometimes, uh, so, uh, you know, contribute to that. And, uh, and I also found really, really useful. Uh, there's this great comic, Lori Kilmartin. You probably heard of her. She's a Conan writer um, and she's, she's performed on some of my shows. She has online, you can Google it, this list of uh, transitions, also known as joke connectors. So um, I have it right here. I often write with this. Uh, early on, I use these a lot. Uh, and then eventually, I, I didn't need them once I got natural at, at joke writing. But when you're writing like a, a joke for late night, you know, things like um, uh, just to be safe or, you know, meanwhile, or the weird part is, you know, you put these in between the headline and your punchline. And so I found that when I was blocked or stumped on something, that if I just stared at this list of transitions, that I was frequently able to unstick myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's something I return to when I'm stuck. With stand-up, yeah. I have a very specific process. I, I, so I use a Google Doc and I, put, I always put the newest stuff on the top. So that makes it very easy for me, you know, old stuff that either is like working and it's great, I don't have to change it, or it's just not good and it's archived, that's down on the bottom. So I put the newest stuff on top and so whenever I have a half an hour free, I want to do some writing, or when I'm heading to a show, I print the top two pages on a two-sided eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And that's usually representing all of my ideas for the last month that I'm still figuring out, whether they're virgin, no one's ever heard of them, or they're, uh, I'm still brainstorming them, or I've tried them, but I need to fix them. So, so anyway, what I end up doing, for some reason for me, I really like pen and paper, but I also like technology. So I print it out on paper, and I use a pen and I mark it up like, uh, like a lawyer would mark up a document. I'm like, okay, check, that's great. Check, X, no, I'm, I'm crossing that out. I'm moving this up here. So, and then I come home and I look at my changes in pen and I go update the Google Doc. And, and this way, I'm so much more creative and, and I enjoy the process more when I use a pen and paper. But then I also don't want to just accidentally lose all my jokes if like my house burns down. So I want the Google <laughs> Doc as well. 
So that's like a hybrid process. It's also for me, it's a pipeline. And what, but what I mean by that is I have these stages where I can have a raw idea that doesn't have any specifics. And that's in one section of my document. And then if I add specifics, I move it to that area of the document where it has specifics. Then I start adding the, the, the jokes or angles or ideas or whatever. Then I move it to an area where I'm trying it out on mics. And then finally I move it to my like, like gold, you know, good, good bits section. And when I have a writing session, my goal is not, okay, I got to pump out great jokes today. Because if you do that, you'll find it's kind of like the blank slate effect. You're like, ah, oh, what do I write? But instead, my goal is to just improve each bit one stage. So, ah, this is a raw idea. I'm just going to add some specifics. I got something here that has specifics. I'm just going to add some angles or some, you know, uh, emotions or attitudes. Uh, I got something that's kind of a, a jumble of good ideas, maybe some jokes. Now I'm going to actually type out all of the exact wording. You know, I, I'm a person who mostly writes before I get to the stage. So I like to write out the full wording of everything. It might evolve on the stage, but you know, I, I, I do like to write it out. So that's kind of my, my process with that. A, a yeah. lot to unpack there. Uh, so first of all, you, you, you talked about the headlines and we'll call those prompts. And that's usually as far as the advice you'll get uh, from a comic about writing, like, all right, you're going to sit down, here are some prompts, you know, start with what you look like, what you like about yourself, what you don't. In your, in your case, it's the headlines. I mean, not always, but in this, this scenario you laid out, then you talked about the transitions, the Kill Martin transitions. Uh, can you, did you, you didn't share any, I don't think you shared any. Can you share what that is? Just dive in a little deeper into what that is. Cause that, that keeps you, that's not a prompt. That's what keeps you going. And I thought that was really exciting. Was that what you just shared about the emotions and the angles? Yeah. Okay. You know, let me see if I can share my screen and um, I can also share a, a link um, to this with you guys. Let me see if this is easy. I'll do it. Uh, sharing. This will be our okay. first ever screen share. This is very tech, Jeff. Do you see this? I don't. But, oh, yeah, I got oh. you. Look at that. So hey. these, you wow. can think of all of these as, this is, this is by the way, this is like 10% Lori Kilmartin's and then like 80% my own that I've added. So it's kind of like my version of hers. But hers is public and she, um, and hers is very well uh, shared online. So you can find hers easily. Um, I'll probably share mine at some point. But just think of each of these going in between a headline on the left and your punchline on the right. You know, Jimmy Fallon uses this one a lot. You know, it's bad when dot, dot, dot. Um, I, I love that. Cause it just like, it does plug and plug stick you and it gets you thinking and like, yeah, it, it's like sometimes when you have an idea and you're like, I know there's something funny in there. Maybe one of these just gives you the direction to take it to be like, ah, now I know where, where to go. And it just gives you like a, it's like a launch pad for ideas that you wouldn't have, you may not have stumbled on and they're inside of you, but you just couldn't unlock them. Yeah. And maybe it's my deconstructionalist left brain approach to things, but it is. I do, I do like formulas, but yeah. I don't rely on them. I, I return to them when I'm stuck, but after a while you, you become, especially as you know, when you perform a lot, when the confidence grows, you, you unlock this creativity of the right brain that will just lead you to all sorts of uh, unplanned, uh, uh, completely creative uh, places. But when you're to beginning comics that are wondering where to start or to someone who's stuck or stumped, I, I, I often return to these tools. That's yeah, it's almost like the, uh, the Rick Robert, sorry, not the Rick Roberts, the Scott, Scott uh, Dickers. Um, Funny oh, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got the, I, uh, I think it's 11 funny filters that, and they're just wonderful ways to like find a different angle for a premise that you have and find a different way to make it funny. Yeah. 
Yeah. I and listened you, to that episode. That was great. And you mold them into your own language. You know, you, you can take Kill Martin's or take yours, for example, and then, you know, change those to the way you would say it. But you find these these transitions and like you said, they get you unstuck. And and I this this jives with me because Jeff, I never got into computer programming, but this is just this is this is programming language, dude. And like, like I, I I could have because that's how my brain works. I'm, I've definitely got that that uh, uh, that 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 same kind of brainwave. But um, you know, this is a way for for anybody who's who's getting started, or and, and really who's who's like you said, creating as many jokes as you are. Uh, this is this is a great tool. Uh, so look that up if you can't. Laurie Kilmartin, look it up online and, and start playing around with those tools. I know I will uh, after this podcast. Also, Thanks, really uh, love the the levels. The levels are so interesting and so good. I think because sometimes, uh, we, I mean, Brian and I were talking about there's a there's an app on I know it's at least on Apple that Brian shared with me called the Comedy Companion, and it's just it's a nice way to keep all of your jokes kind of organized in your face. Um, and you can, you can set it as a joke in progress, a finished joke or and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, cause I was realizing that I was losing good jokes because they get, they fall off the set list once or twice, and then you forget they even existed. And so to have those, those different columns or different spreadsheets to go, okay, this is raw ideas. This is a little more specific. This is getting there. This has been tried on stage. This was successful on stage. If you can keep up with all that, um, you, I think you have a better shot of uh, keeping good jokes. And also when you're in, you can also, I guess you can look at whatever mood you're in, right? Like if you're in a creative let's let's really work some comedy gold here you go back to the raw ideas and you're, and you're feeling super creative and maybe we're not feeling super creative but you want to edit and you, that you can you know which which sheets or which columns to kind of look at to kind of meet your mood there's actually an article i read recently about um it was kind of like time management but it was for your your mood and whatever state you were in and so like if you can manage you, how you feel and what task you are most apt to successfully complete in this moment and you organize your tasks like that, it can be really uh, helpful. That, that sounds awesome, Drew. I, I totally like that. Anything that helps you to organize and bridge between the daunting task of writing a huge pile of material and the important goal of having a great set uh, me, to me is, is, is going to be helpful. I wanted to share one last thing. This is like a writing technique that I, I don't use it that often, but I think it's such a great writing technique for, for beginning comics that I think it's worth sharing. So if I'm not mistaken, I think this is, I'm stealing this from Greg Dean. He's a, he's a stand-up comedy uh, uh, coach. I, I just don't remember where I got it, but I just to give credit where credit is due. But I call it the four attitudes. And the four attitudes are stupid, scary, hard, and weird. And, and oh, maybe yeah. there's a fifth one, annoying. But I find it really easy. If you start with, let's say, a general idea like Uber, and then you get more specific, like uh, the Uber app, booking the Uber, getting in the Uber, the conversation with the guy, you know, getting out, giving stars. So you, so you brainstorm those specifics around the idea of Uber. But then finally, you apply these attitudes, stupid, scary, hard, and weird. You know, what's, what's stupid about, you know, giving star ratings on an Uber app is dot, dot, dot. Well, what's really hard about getting in the car and having a conversation with the guy is dot, dot, dot. I think the reason those four attitudes are useful is that they are the they're the four negative attitudes, the four core <laughs> negative attitudes, really. Uh, and you know, not that comedy has to be negative. You can totally have a whole set about I love this, I love that, and and I do, I have those bits. But 
it's it's not a bad way to start if you're stumped to just rant and get angry about things, and you'll you'll find that you can you can really generate a lot of material that way. I think that's definitely part of the comedy bible. Um, oh yeah, to some degree, she she does, um, and I'm blanking on her name right now. I'm trying, I was trying to look Judy it up. Carter. So Judy Carter. Um, she gets, she shares at least a portion of that with the, with the attitudes, the yeah, weird, hard, scary, stupid. Um, and yeah, it's just, once again, it's a, it's a, I love that it's a jumping off point. You've got it. You've got a premise, you've got an idea. How do you make it funny? And so few, I feel like, uh, a lot of comics, um, or at least I should only talk for myself. It can be hard to inject emotion into jokes sometimes, but that's the connective piece and we can think of something funny and technical and this is the formula, but if there's no emotion in it, a lot of times it just doesn't get eyeballs. It doesn't catch people's attention. Um, you know, look at someone like Lewis Black, like his whole thing is he's annoyed and, and you yeah. just, and you can't look away because you just love to see him melt down. I guess it's just like, it's something about the emotion that just draws people in. Yeah. Uh, you reminded me, I, I have a, I have a couple favorite books that, sort of helped me a lot on my way to, to writing and, and, and just doing stand-up and everything. So the first book I want to plug is uh, Joe Toplin has a book, Comedy Writing for Late Night TV. And that yeah. really got me into the, it was recommended to me by Nick Vaderot, who currently writes on uh, Bill Maher. He's an old friend of mine. And that really opened the door to me to, to writing these news-based jokes, monologue jokes. Steve Martin's Born Standing Up is my all-time favorite. Just if you want to fall in love with doing stand-up and you want to know what it's like, whether you're experienced or not, I love his book. It, 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 it sh it's like an autobiography of everything until he became famous. A lot of people's autobiographies are like, <laughs> well, I remember when Spielberg said, you're in the movie. And it's like, okay, but how did you get there? So his autobiography starts from his early instincts as a, as a, as a teenager even, doing like magic in like in like Southern California and taping his show. He's big on taping. So he would, uh, he eventually started doing standup and taping his shows and then listening to them, which is hyper important. I always record audio record everything I do. I just press the button before I go up, put it in my pocket, always audio record and then listen later. Um, I mean, videotaping in, the, in this day and age is important too, because you want clips to post, but audio recording, very important. And then my other, this is a real deep cut, but this woman named Judy Brown, I met her once. Judy Brown has a book called The Funniest Jokes from the World's Best Comedians. And here's the deal. She transcribed all these old jokes. I mean, it's not a comedy from the last 20 years, but it's like uh, Seinfeld and, and, uh, and a bunch of those comedians from you know maybe the, the 90s and 2000s. But because she transcribed them, and by the way, she didn't have permission to do this. I think she's had some lawsuits. Um, but because she's transcribed <laughs> them, I'm a visual learner. I need to read something uh, to really learn it. Like I can listen to a stand-up uh, album and laugh, but I won't learn from it until I read it. Mm -hmm. So when I read her book, it that was actually, I remember, that was the boundary between me sort of going to mics and trying poorly to do stand-up and then suddenly doing well and writing better. It was because I, I remember reading it and seeing these structures just pop out visually for me. And I was underlining things, not not copying punchlines or anything, but structures, you know, oh, there's this, there's this balance, there's this pace and all that. So that's, that's uh, Judy Brown, the funniest jokes from the world's best comedians. That reminds me, Drew, of uh, Liz Mealy. I was actually, I re-listened to her episode on the drive up here to Dallas and uh, she talked about transcribing all of her yeah, stuff. So that's right. She own. was, she's methodical. That if you, if you want, if you want to take your writing to an insane level uh, of, of 
being so specific. Uh, she does it. So, she has a, a wonderful strategy of recording, transcribing, editing, redoing it, transcribing the new one, editing. It's a, it's a real process. One thing I wanted to ask, since you brought up the late night writing, and that's kind of um, what your TikTok channel is all built around. What would you say fundamentally is different between a monologue joke and just a regular stand-up joke? Well, so these monologue jokes are very formulaic. It's one sentence headline and one or two sentences punchline. Um, stand-up is, of course, so freeform. You can do anything. You can do characters, impressions, all sorts of stuff. But fundamentally, um, it's it's about current events. So, you know, the, these, these late-night jokes... If you're a comedian who doesn't read the newspaper too much, you're not really into the news, this is a good way to get into, it's an excuse to become well-informed. Like through this process, I have become so well-informed, it's it's almost like a stress problem for me now. Like I see, <laughs> I don't read every article, but I see every headline from every every single day. I follow uh, foreign affairs, domestic, you know, politics, pop culture, uh, weird crime news, you know, whatever's gonna work oh, for yeah. jokes. So I follow these little things and um, it makes you more well-informed, but but also I think it's, I'll just put it this way. You have, there's 20 new headlines every day. There's 20 new setups you can try. So if you're a person who can write good punchlines, but you have trouble finding setups to work on, this is a, uh, this can open a door for you for that. Um, Stand-up comedy, I'm looking for evergreen material. Some of my jokes I've been doing for 10 years and they just work every time. And that's wonderful. Uh, but these news jokes, even the best ones, uh, a couple months later, I can't use them. So they, they cycle through and, and they, they, they're a lot fresher. Um, but I, I find that it's, it's just, it's faster and there's more quantity of them. And it's, it's also, by the way, it's something that most comedians still don't do that much. Uh, even in the world of stand-up comedy, there's not that many that are really focusing on those. And um, for, for example, if you're a comedian who's wondering what your big success break is going to be, Maybe it's going to be an album or a special, sure. But maybe also it might be getting hired to write on Conan or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill Maher or John Oliver or something because there's there's fewer comedians that can do that, that can write those jokes. So that's another thing to, to think about. And I've done, I mean, I'd love to get hired to one of those things one day. I haven't been yet, but I've done, uh, I've submitted packets to some of those shows. And so I'm, that's, uh, whether, whether I reach that goal or not, just going through the process of trying to write for those shows is very fun. And it's a muscle that I've enjoyed working well and there's also i think that um i recently did a roast battle which is definitely not my cup of tea but there's something about being up against the wall to write a bunch of material clocks ticking nothing motivates you like a deadline and your jokes i mean these monologue jokes these these late night type jokes man the clock's ticking you don't you can't you can't massage them forever. You really have to find something that you like and, and, and get it out in a certain amount of time before that current event is no longer a, th a thing. So that's kind of fun. It's kind of, there's, there's a little bit of uh, urgency in, in writing and, and posting. So you, uh, I feel like, I don't know, do you like, do you feel like that um, obviously you don't have as much time to craft them. So you maybe just, you lean to the ones that you just, that really jump out to you and you feel like, this reached out to me. I feel it. We're going with this one. I'm not going to belabor this one that I, I'd like to write a joke about, but nothing's coming. We're just moving on. We got to go. You know, what's funny. Uh, the way I write these jokes, I, I write them all in one day. So about 30 of them, it takes two or three hours. Um, and uh, I, I approach them the same way. I remember taking tests when I was a kid in school, which is don't spend 10 minutes on one. 
Basically, yeah. I give myself maximum two minutes on each one. And mm -hmm. if it's not jumping to me, if it doesn't feel good and easy, I move on. It's okay if you have a bunch of blanks in the spreadsheet. So then I get all the easy ones done. Then I do a second pass. Uh, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, now I'm going to spend a little more time. And just by the virtue of the fact that some time has passed, sometimes I will have a new idea. Then, so I do that pass. I've still got holes in the spreadsheet. So then I do a final pass looking at my joke transitions and I get more of those done. And so finally, by the end, I've probably 90% of them I've written a headline, uh, a punchline for. Um, they're not all good. I, I do a, uh, a session kind of like this. Uh, I, I do a Zoom session with a couple of buddies of mine and I read them out loud. And, and I do that before I do them on TikTok. And that just gives me one more uh, vetting phase where I can weed out the bad ones before I do them on TikTok. And that's why I write, you know, it's a quantity game. That's why I write 30 of them. I weed out some bad ones and then I record 20 of them. And then I, through the editing process, or if I show an early cut to a friend or something, I weed out some of those and I finally upload those. And in fact, once I upload my 20 or so per week on TikTok, uh, only two or three of them will go viral if I'm lucky. But those are then the ones I try on stage uh, later. So it's, it's, uh, Having, giving yourself these opportunities to vet your jokes and try them out is important in a lot of different ways, off of friends, off of mics, at shows, online. There's so many ways to test your material and then amass the winners. Uh, Which yeah. feels like a great time to plug the Breaking Down Bits feedback mic every Tuesday at 9 Eastern. A great place to vet your jokes, run them past comics, get tags. If you don't have that community, we'd love to help with that. So I, that sounds uh, fun. It is. You should join us. Uh, so... I, Drew and I have been talking about getting a current events show uh, on our local produced show. And I couldn't be more excited than ever having had this conversation to get out and write jokes for it. Uh, but before I, I want to play some of your stand up, kind of to, to kind of wrap, get things wrapped up for the episode. But before we do that, um, we've been, we've been uh, pulling our hair out trying to think of a name for this, uh, for this show. I didn't know if you had any, I was, when you were talking, I'm like, maybe we call it the monologue or maybe we, uh, I don't know. What, have any name ideas for our for our produced show? Well, I've always thought that monologue is an inside baseball term because yeah. uh, you know monologue to me makes me think of an actor, you know, uh, a speech or something. Sure. Um, I think I don't know news. The, the words news or current events or something might. I I, I don't know. I don't have any uh, our, great ideas. One of our com our competitors here in town has too soon, and I love it so much. I want I just it has to be as good as that, but um, we haven't figured it out yet. That's great. Uh, um, all right, cool. So let's do this, Jet. We have a, a small clip of your stand up. I took some liberty and, and moved the moved it a little forward from what you sent me. So we're gonna play a little bit more and cool. to give more more of your your context. And I, I landed on a joke. It's it's a that I thought Drew would really like. So I went back even further. But let's go ahead and. Uh, and play the clip and uh, let's get let's see some of your stuff. Yes, I know. I also like history. Uh, this is true. You can share this with your friends and family at the dinner table. In the 1940s, there was a dentist whose full name and everything was Dr. Gay Hitler. Not a dentist calling himself a doctor. I can't get over it. So, uh, so I'm dating. Dating. And even when things go well. I feel like I don't understand women. I was on this date, and this girl said, I'm having a really good time. I said, great. You want to get out of here? And she goes, yeah. Yeah, I do. Never saw her again. <laughs> That's my date point. I think it all goes wrong on the first date, because the very first thing I say is, do you mind if I record this for quality control? 
Yeah, and sex is very confusing. I was with this girl and I said, uh, should I get a condom? And she goes, no, I'm okay. I have an IED. I said, I think you mean IUD. And she goes, no, IED. I said, am I to believe that you have an improvised explosive device in your body? So, long story short, we did have sex. But just to be safe, I wore the suit from the Hurt Locker. I think it's normal for uh, men to worry about penis size from time to time. Totally normal. I do not. I was with this girl, we were having sex. She goes, Jeff, you've got a mean dick. You never forget when someone tells you you have a mean dick. Uh, but it turns out she was right because I have the national average. <laughs> Look around the room, if you're not laughing, you're the lowest common denominator. I'm bringing you guys median dick energy. It's an all you may not be familiar with. You still don't get it. Cheat off your partner's test. All right. Enough magic. All right. Good stuff. Hey, it's good to know that you have a you draw an audience that's smart enough to get those jokes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes there's people that don't get it. I guess uh, you know that last joke, the mean dick joke, um, has has served me well. It's the one that I get the most comments from other comics about. Like um, some of my favorite favorite comics, like Matthew Broussard, who you've had on, who's so funny, and he's complimented me on that one. Um, I think Brent Weinbach, who's also another one of my absolute favorites, has mentioned that one. So, you know, it's just a very Jeff joke because uh, it's math and sex and uh, <laughs> wordplay. So uh, that's that's my style. Yeah, that's really good. I like it. Yeah, the the IUD thing was, was really good. Really fun wordplay there. And, the, and uh, once again, you see, like, I think, do you think that um, all the time that you spend on monologue jokes and, and headlines and stuff makes you a little sharper on references like the hurt locker and stuff like that. Cause you're just like, you're very deep into headlines and media and news and, and probably entertainment stuff pops up there too. So you, you have like, your brain is probably really packed full of references, always ready to, to, to add into the jokes to make them a little more colorful. I think so. It can't hurt to have a lot of references. I, I, I do think these two muscles of the monologue jokes and the stand up are really different. I have not found a lot of crossover. But I will say with that mean dick joke, I, I remember for years having that phrase in my mind of, um, of the, that I'd, I'd heard this phrase, maybe I've heard it in porn or a movie or something, but someone, the mean, mean dick, or just that, that version of the word mean, because uh, that, that joke hinges on the word mean. Mean can mean angry, but it can also mean um, just like, like tough and like fighting strong, right? And then mean also means average you know it has those two contexts and i remember that was the dna of that joke i sat there and went oh maybe i can put these two things together then i wrote that story it's a totally fake story about a girl who said this to me and then me concluding oh she's right i have the national average and then when i tried it i remember that was the first time i got a uh, you know kind of like an applause break or something so it was you never know sometimes ideas you had 10 years ago just keep Keep them written down somewhere and keep thinking about them because you never know when you're going to finally figure out the joke about them. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's funny you should mention that. That's that's the the way that comics write. Um, I used to be on the radio, and the way you prep a show a lot of times is just you, you're you're a sponge. You're taking anything you hear that catches you funny. You're noting it because you're gonna you might need to find a way to you know 
you're, you got to create, you know, a fresh five hour, maybe radio show every day. So you've got to just have content, 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 and you, you become really adept at overhearing other people's conversations <laughs> and, and, and grabbing little phrases that catch your attention. Yes. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to turn on Feedly. I think this is a really smart idea, but like around the pandemic, when there was too much news coming in, I shut it all off. So this would be, this would me be opening back up. I kind of, you know, I've had this world now where I get all my pop culture and news from stand up and it's, it's watered down and it's, you know, it's punched up and it's just a, it's a nicer way to get it than biased media. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm a little apprehensive about doing it, but I can see the value in it. You might've convinced me to, to get back into news, Jeff. Uh, cool. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and do our, our last segment. Uh, I think you're familiar with it. It's called Last Laugh. Okay. I still haven't changed it. All right. So <laughs> here's how it works, Jeff. Uh, you got one joke and you write a lot of them. So you, you, we know you got one uh, to be remembered by. Put on your tombstone. What's it going to be? Uh, so first I want to say that um, no one who listens to this uh, podcast will, will, will know this. And this is my first time experiencing this, but Drew and Brian uh, show a, uh, a, uh, like a, a, a graphic that says, you know, here lies funny comedian. So I just think that's funny, by the way. <laughs> um, so I have my own, but then I have maybe, maybe two other uh, backup jokes that, that other people wrote that I think are hilarious. So if it was my own, I, my tombstone would say, I pity the fool. Who doesn't understand Mr. T references? Uh, I guess that's, that's my own. Um, so then my two, the, the two others that I really like, these jokes just stay in my, in my mind. John Mulaney says, you know those true or false questions? You should be able to add a third option. Who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> I just Mulaney. always love that. And uh, the last one is a, a Brent, Weinbach, uh, Brent Weinbach classic. He says, uh, when I was young, I used Old Spice deodorant because I wanted to smell like a man. Then I developed an allergy and had to stop using deodorant. Then I smelled like a real man. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. <laughs> that's good. Great, three great options for your last laugh. Um, Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on. Where can people find you and give everybody uh, all the things that, that they need to find online, uh, TikTok and all that? So you have to know how to spell my name. It's Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F. -F, and the last name is Plitt. Easy to remember because it rhymes with shit. Uh, P-L-I-T-T. And uh, so I'm, I'm Jeffrey Plitt on Twitter, Jeff underscore Plitt on Instagram. Uh, you can search my name on TikTok, but my username there is what you need to know. Um, maybe, maybe that's a, uh, an inspiration for you to uh, what you could name your show. I mean, don't steal my name, but that's, I don't know. That's what I, I had trouble naming my show. So anyway. What yeah. you need to know, or my name, Jeff Plate. I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and and TikTok. Awesome. Well, thanks for all the insight. I'm sure a lot of comics are are going to uh, to really uh, get something out, especially the social media component and and, and working that muscle and um, maybe create their own interesting way to share their comedy uh, in a way that will get them more eyes, more ears, and more exposure and opportunities. More laughs. Thank you, guys. I, I love what you're doing. I love this podcast, and it's really a, a joy to be part of it. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, comedians and, and the industry are, are starting to notice. Uh, they're already noticing it, and uh, I, I keep it up. It's, it's great, and it was uh, real fun to be with you. Thanks, Jeff, and awesome. thanks, everybody, for listening. We out. Bye. Later. Bye. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.